0: Or hey, ARMY, and fellow music fans, I'm Kayla. And I'm Bethany, and we're the hosts of Standing BTS from the Consequence Podcast Network. We're a bi-weekly show that covers the impact and legacy of K-pop group BTS. We mix the perfect blend of research and fangirl as we take a deep dive into lyrics during album reviews, theorize over music videos, and keep up with their current events. No BTS topic is off limits. We welcome everyone into the conversation, whether you're a casual fan, committed ARMY, or someone who's just curious about one of the biggest music groups in the world. Come chat with us every other Thursday with a new episode wherever podcasts are found. Hey,
1: it's the Spark Parade, a show where I talk to amazing people about the art and culture that's shaped their lives. I'm Adam Ons. Thanks so much for joining me. I hope you're all holding up okay in your quarantined lives or that you're staying safe if you still have to go to work. We're all just doing the best we can right now, huh? It's tough out there. It feels weird to jump into the show each week without acknowledging that, so dudes, I really hope you're keeping safe and well, and I think that is enough grim reality for this week. I promise to keep it light for the rest of the show. So, moving on. Coming up a bit later on, you'll get to hear something a little different. I spoke to not one, but two people at the same time. Unprecedented, unheard of, unbelievable. So, so shocking, but absolutely true. My guests this week are James Barr and Dan Hudson of the podcast A Gay and a Non-Gay, which is the UK's number one LGBTQ plus comedy podcast. Pretty cool, eh? The boys each picked a topic for discussion, so I spoke to Dan about his love for seminal grunge superstars Nirvana, and I spoke with James about seminal pop superstars The Spice Girls quite a spectrum of representation in this episode. From straight to gay, from curt to spice. It's going to be great, folks! I had so much fun with this one. All of that is coming up a bit later on, but first, I wanted to talk a bit about collecting art memorabilia. I'm thinking of quite a specific definition of that phrase here. Not collecting art itself, but collecting stuff related to the art you've experienced. I talked a bit with Dan and James about owning band t-shirts, and that got me thinking about all the art-related stuff I've collected over the years. So many t-shirts and posters and postcards and branded crap from gift shops and merch tables. I've got a kind of complicated history with collecting. I used to obsess about inanimate objects when I was a kid. I did things like collecting all of the wrappers from my candy in an old cigar box, and I got really upset if anyone suggested that I threw them away. Really psycho, right? And that attitude bled into my art memorabilia collecting when I got older, outside of amassing a collection of literally thousands of CDs all of which are essentially worthless now. Yay for streaming! I also collected band t-shirts and posters and stickers and whatever I could find associated with the artists I loved. I wore band t-shirts until they were completely falling apart and plastered my walls with postcards and posters from art exhibitions I'd visited and films I loved. Displaying my taste to the world was really important to me, as was surrounding myself with reminders of the concerts I'd gone to or the art I'd experienced in foreign cities. It made me feel cool. And I was really proud of having broad tastes, and I wanted people around me to think that was cool. But as I've gotten older, material possessions have meant less and less to me. I don't really collect stuff anymore. The aforementioned CDs have been relegated to CD books and shoved onto shelves to gather dust. My husband and I hang some framed albums on our walls, but I don't have any band posters up anymore. We occasionally buy a postcard from a museum or a t-shirt after a gig. Last year, I bought a hoodie when we went to see Massive Attack at Radio City but I don't have the same attachment to those items anymore. Those mementos are just as ephemeral as the events they commemorate, and I almost find it easier to remember the art I've enjoyed without those signifiers. I'm not as worried about displaying my tastes and my artistic experience as badges of honor. When I look back on the art memorabilia I used to collect and obsess over, I think the burden of holding on to that stuff and protecting it weighed me down. As the Massive Attack sweatshirt implies, I can still be a sucker for a good bit of design sometimes, but but I'm mostly content to let the memories of my favorite artistic experiences stay just that. Memories. There you go. Another rambling waffle for you. So enjoyable, right? Ready to move on? Let's do it! Here comes my chat with a gay and a non-gay about Nirvana and the Spice Girls. So I was thinking, why don't we start with Nirvana for Dan? Sure.
2: So nevermind in, in particular, this is, is the, the one. Um, no, I, 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 sort of chose nevermind cause it's, it's the biggest one, but I, mm. uh, by the time I got into them, Kurt was dead for being dead for six years. So I, I sort of came across it all at the same time. Mm. Uh, I guess nevermind is the, is the by far the biggest of everything, so yeah, I guess I guess we'll go with that. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> um, do you have like a, a specific memory of um, a moment of discovery or was it a process?
2: Yeah, so uh, I was obviously aware of Nirvana because everybody just seemed to know that Nirvana was the band with the singer that killed himself. Mm. Um, that was that was just the thing about about them. but that was in like, 1994. And I'd only found out about that quite some time after it happened. Uh, And I was listening to like Oasis and Blur and The Prodigy and just like the big British stuff from the time that was like absolutely massive. And then one day uh, BBC Two showed this documentary film, Kurt and Courtney, which is a documentary about whether Kurt Cobain killed himself or whether somebody else did it. Yeah yeah uh, right. is that Nick Nick broomfields Nick Broomfield so, yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's it's fascinating and I was probably way too young to be watching it because it really did like freak me out um but it got me into thinking about nirvana and I used to go to the library uh mm. and take music out um, the library is open the library was open <laughs> Library was open on Saturdays till five o'clock, and um, <laughs> I used to go in and, and get get music out. And whoever was programming that must have been a rock fan because there was so much rock stuff. And yeah, you know, I took out all the Nirvana albums. I think one was on cassette, uh, but the rest were on CD. And then I also, they also had loads of books about Kurt, and I just just became obsessed with them basically. And this was around the time when rock music was inexplicably massive in the mainstream. So Corn and Slipknot and Limp Biscuit, these bands were absolutely huge. Like Limp Biscuit were number one in the UK, which is bizarre. <laughs> so all I could see around me in in school were was I mean we don't, over here we have uniforms, so it's uh, you can't necessarily spot who's into this stuff. Until it's what what's known as a non-uniform day, where you give some money to charity and you can wear what you want, and everybody, like everybody, was just wearing uh, Nirvana t-shirts and Corn t-shirts and Slipknot t-shirts and, and whatnot. So around this time, it was just Nirvana were just everywhere, which is so weird because like the guy had been dead since nineteen ninety four. This was like this was like seven or eight years after that. And everyone's obsessed with them like they're in a new band when they're not. They're not going to bring anything out. They're not going to come over here and tour. But they're just so prevalent in school, I guess, at the time. And at the time, school was all there was. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, all these things are happening around the same time. And um, I'd never really been exposed to heavier rock music. As I say, I've been listening to Oasis and stuff like that. And that was that was rowdy. But coming across Nirvana was like, I'd never heard anything like this before. It's really, to my ears and to most people's ears at the time, it's so heavy, but yet it's so melodic. Like all of, these, all of their songs could be Beatles songs. Mm. Um, the distortion turned up and screamed sometimes instead of singing. But they're so simple, like so simple. Like the the riff to Smells Like Teen Spirit is four chords. Right, anyone can play it on guitar. Like I could, I could teach James how to play it on guitar, <laughs> who's never picked up a guitar. I'm okay, um, thanks, Dave. <laughs> but yeah, it has it has this. Um, anybody could play it, but nobody nobody had had done it before. So yeah, so, uh, I'm just rambling now. But yeah, Nirvana.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, kind of picking apart a few things from that. First of all, like the the idea of being able to get any kind of music that you want from the library that, I mean, for me, again, like as a kid, same kind of thing that it was this huge resource for me, especially before the internet was really a thing that that was kind of the way if you didn't want to spend tons of your own money to, to be able to be exposed to music that you wouldn't be exposed to in any other way. And libraries still, everybody, are a good way to find new stuff like right now there's so many things happening i don't know how it is in the uk but like in uh new york the public libraries are offering all of this stuff to keep people going through this whole crisis and um it's pretty amazing so that's my plug for the library
2: um (laughs) yeah i mean libraries libraries are absolutely fantastic i I mean i used to go there every every week and it it, it would uh it would cost 40p for a cd and i would like save up so i had about you know two pound or something. and just get like five albums or something. I mean, now they get that idea, what, whether they still do it or not, it just seems a bit mad because why yeah. would you do that when you could just get this on Spotify? Um, but the, th- the thing is, like when you've got... And actually, I remember an interview with Kurt Cobain talking about this very topic. It's a famous interview and he's sitting in um, on the river in Seattle and he's saying, now he's got all the money in the world. It's not a special to him when he gets new music because he can just walk into the record shop and buy everything. Mm. And that's where we all are now. Yeah, can all just everything at any point. And because you can do that, I think it does devalue, it does devalue things. Like if, if, if you have to spend all week thinking about what you're going to get out of the library or what you're going to buy on the weekend, you have to make a really informed choice and, and mm. in the thing that you really, really want to listen to. And even if you don't like it when you hear it, you've invested Time and money in it, so you you go out of your way to listen to it over and over again, and then sometimes you find, oh, actually, I do quite like this. Whereas where we are now, and obviously streaming is amazing and it does so much for artists, but it does definitely take away something. And I guess Kurt, the fact that Kurt predicted this is a nice little, um <laughs> nice little thing as well.
3: Yeah,
1: yeah, and I guess like not just in terms of having this enormous amount of content available to you at all times, but also. People's attention spans are so short. So like the idea that kids would listen to an entire album instead of just cherry picking singles or, and and even then listening to like half of them as as they go and everything seems kind of dispensable. Um, but that's a really good point that like I I used to save up all of my money like when uh, I don't know when I was uh, 20 or something. I worked in a restaurant and I would use all of the money that I got from tips to just go to used record stores and buy CDs and have stacks and stacks and stacks of them and now it's like all of that feels kind of meaningless there's no like physical media unless you're fetishizing like buying records or whatever like uh there's no need for it anymore everybody can just get everything whenever they want all the time
3: yeah um it's also interesting that now, it's quite hard to listen to a whole album because once you put it on, it's playing through your phone and your phone rings or your phone, you get a yeah. message or you want to watch an Instagram video. So you just immediately get taken away from it again. There's no real time spent on listening to an album like in the same way as before, right?
2: Right. Yeah, that's a really good point. So, I mean, I would just lie in my bed and listen to Nirvana. <laughs> But are young people doing that now or are they are They're just not, are they? Because even if you're not busy with work and someone's phoning you, you're on Instagram and you're on Twitter and you're on WhatsApp. And I guess uh, my my enjoyment of Nirvana comes from a different age now, really, where you're just doing two things at once.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, th- Another thing I was going to say just about school uniforms here, uh, public schools. How do I describe state schools, I guess? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. yeah for... People who are listening, who are not British, who are not understanding my confusion, public school means something different in the UK. Um, yes, yeah, so the uh, public
2: school means the opposite over here, yeah. which is really, really, really weird. But yeah, go on, carry on.
1: But public schools, state schools here are, uh, nobody has to wear uniforms. And so everyone's taste, you know, if they are wearing a band t-shirt, that's all out there from the beginning. But it's interesting to me to think of that being something that's secret For you, like, you know, your immediate group of friends, you'll know what their taste is, but um, nothing is reflected in what people wear because everybody's wearing the same thing. Um, And having moments of like, ah, here's a day where everybody gets to show what they're interested in. And you can see that all these people who you might not have expected to be into the same things that you are actually are.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I hated school uniforms and i couldn't wait until the day i knew i was never gonna get an office job i knew i'd never have to wear a suit basically so i just couldn't wait until the day <laughs> we didn't have to wear a school uniform but in hindsight i kind of support school uniforms because i think uh when you when you're displaying all this stuff all the time it just leads to problems because uh, like in, in my case you know you get there was a real divide between what was the rockers and what were like chavs which is not a nice term but it's uh i I guess you would call them bros over there and you know it it leads to real conflict and real problems whereas if you take that away from people and everyone's wearing the same thing yeah you can't be an individual but it just keeps all those problems away do you know what i mean yeah and and also i think
1: um a big problem here is that kids can come from different backgrounds, you know, socioeconomically, and kids can afford, kids' parents can afford to buy them uh, different types of clothing. And some kids will come into school with the newest, latest things, and other kids will come in with hand-me-downs or whatever their parents can give to them. So eliminating that as well, where everyone is like, nobody has anything special. Nobody's, um, you know, everybody's in the same boat. There's no differentiation at all and i think that's that's a good thing too yeah that's a good point sometimes right,
3: although yeah. there are situations where schools are quite strict on what girls and boys can wear and that can mm. cause a lot of issues for people that don't identify as any particular gender so it has its ups and its downs
1: yeah so school uniforms need to just be maybe baggy yeah <laughs> uh, uh, a a <laughs> muumu some some kind of like house coat for everyone <laughs> and then um you know joggers, yeah, yeah, just like,
3: pants, yeah,
1: a potato sack, some like shapeless nothing. That's that's my
3: recommendation. Oh, you'd um, look great in a potato sack, though. <laughs> let's be real. Yes, yeah, so we'll, we'll be good. Yeah,
1: um, so yeah, so but like you, I guess Nirvana would kind of act as a, a springboard for all this other kinds of music
2: as well. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, so I, I, I'm really into the uh, more much much heavier stuff these days but you can never just go straight to you can never just nobody's favorite band on day one is like lamb of god right you need like a gateway band to sort of to sort of ease you in which for me and for for literally millions of people i think it is is nirvana because uh like i say when you hear it you haven't in many cases you haven't heard anything like it before but at the same time it is really accessible like all of their big songs are really really melodic and they're so hummable um and like i said they could be beatles songs they could be rolling stone songs some of them um but it's just got that that element of kick to it that that once you um once you hear it it stirs something within you so i i, I knew when i was listening to nirvana not just nirvana but uh, you know, Nirvana very quickly led on to, to Radiance Machine and to Korn and Slipknot and Metallica and all, all these kind of bands. But I knew when I heard them that this was going to be what I was into from now on. Do you know what I mean? And, ha- and yeah, and ha- have been ever since. Yeah,
1: that is a good point about uh, Nirvana being the, you know, m- melodic, easy entry point that it makes me think of cover versions that you'll hear like in, I don't know, on something like The X Factor or like in a a Christmas advert or something where all those Nirvana songs could easily have a easy listening, like having somebody like Ellie Goulding cover them in a, you know, sad, somber way. And it wouldn't feel, you know, it would be very, very, very different, dramatically different to the original, but um, it could easily be adapted to be a traditional pop song.
2: Yeah. Although I think that they are the kind of band, if you do do that, if you do water it down and do a John Lewis version of it, it is not, it's just going to sound horrific. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> because whilst it sounds simple, like it's not easy. That's, I think that's the distinction. Mm. What Whilst it is simple to have a, a chorus where the words are just, yeah, 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 over and over again. Mm-hmm. Actually doing that and making it sound good is very, very hard. And I don't think, like, no shade to Eddie Golding, but like she can't do that. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, a song like "Smells Like Dean Spirit" is essentially Louis, Louis, mm-hmm. um, incredibly simple. But if you just get someone off the street to to oh, just come up with a, a really simple riff, they they can't. Um, it's got to come from a genius's head,
3: yeah. <laughs> like wait, Adam, do you know John Lewis? Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. All oh, right, cool. I I uh, I lived in London for twelve years. I'm uh, I'm a oh, did you? I'm a British citizen, so um, mm. yes. Uh, but yeah, I, and uh, also just that idea of having this, you know, pretend soft cover of Nirvana song that I've made up in my head. I mean, I, I feel like covers like that have probably happened, but that it is the idea of that happening is missing the point that these songs, oh yeah, you know, the aggression and the style of performance are this key element that, Without it, it is a completely different thing, and it's something that has, at least to my mind, makes it less appealing. So it really is like those three people, their particular styles, the way that they played together, and definitely Kurt Cobain himself um, was just so enigmatic. And yeah, uh, the the fu- the fusion of uh, those three minds really um, yeah. made that music something. That was you know so important and 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 meant so much to so many people and influenced so much other music as well
2: yeah i mean there's some bands that you should just not bother trying to cover and nirvana's one radiance machines one but ironically nirvana are incredible at doing cover versions yeah yeah so they unplugged in new york album and this is the other thing about nirvana they just do what they want they throw away the rule book so when they did an mtv unplugged session instead of just banging out the hits they didn't play Smells Like Teen Spirit and half of it is covers and obscure covers at that. So it's three songs from, oh my God, what are they called? Oh God, this is going to kill me. Um, just a really obscure band who are now massive or well, who are now a, a, have a cult following thanks to Nirana. Um, and also they do a cover of David Bowie's The Man Who Sold the World, yeah. which David Bowie himself has said is better than his version. And the only other example I, th- I can think of in, in sort of rock music where somebody's covered something and it's better than the original is Johnny Cash covering Nine Inch Nails Hurt. But the the, abs- the absolute audacity <laughs> of Kurt Cobain to cover that David Bowie song and, and do a better version to the extent where David Bowie agrees that it's better. And actually, I think most people in the world think that's a Nirvana song. Yeah. So yeah yeah full stop yeah yeah
1: and i'm i've talked a lot about this um that my in my opinion uh cover songs if somebody is going to cover somebody else's song there's no point in doing it unless they're going to really make it their own and bring something different to it and the people who can do that well it means that you know it 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 basically becomes a completely new song and i think that nirvana are a good example of of a band that can really do that
2: yeah 100 percent.
1: yeah uh, it, this feels like a natural point to segue into the you know musical successors to Nirvana, which obviously are the Spice Girls.
3: That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so I chose Spice Girls because they've completely inspired my entire life. Um, and it's funny because Dan was talking about all these bands like Oasis, Blur and Nirvana, but... It wasn't really till the Spice Girls came along that music was redefined completely. Yeah, <laughs> agreed. <laughs> I mean, that was just sort of a sea of boring men bands, really. But then along came the Spice Girls with their seminal hit "Wannabe," and everything everything changed.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I I know that there's an element of joking there, but it's it's also true. I mean, I <laughs> I I think um they you know, it's they they changed the the musical landscape in a different way, but they definitely did. <laughs> um
3: definitely, and not just even in music really, but like feminism and being honest with your fan base and you know, they really drove forward respect self-respect for women and sent a bit of a light out to people that weren't a man. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? And for me as a gay person growing up, I I really connected with that. Also being ginger, uh, I found ginger spice to be my rock as I was <laughs> growing up because there was someone ginger in mainstream media that people were celebrating mm. and f- sexualizing and she had balls and that was everything for me although then i found out that she didn't actually have natural ginger hair i don't know if you knew this but she dyed it it wasn't her natural color so i kind of felt a bit hurt by that when i grew up a little and realized that i'd been lied to (laughs) but she did do a lot for me when i was younger
1: yeah yeah so, but do you remember specifically? This is this is the same question that I ask everyone to get started. So, why not do it again? Um, do you remember specifically, like a moment of discovering them, or you know, they they were everywhere. It's not like you had to look um, very hard.
3: I don't think I was really into music at this point, as such. I. I had the radio around me all the time when I was growing up, but I hadn't heard the Spice Girls. I don't think they were being played at that point. And I remember going to my friend Michael's house. My mom had become friends with Paula, whose son was called Michael. Uh, they'd met at like a single parents' night. So me and Michael was kind of forced to hang out a lot. And um, as we became friends, this one time he said, Oh my God, do you want to come to my neighbor's house, Dimitri? Uh, because he's just bought this amazing single that you need to hear. Like this amazing song, so we like traveled across the road. <laughs> this is so funny, <laughs> <laughs> like going to someone else's house to listen to something. um And uh, so we got to his house, and he had it. I guess he was playing it from a computer, maybe, um, and put the CD and then played it. And was like, "Oh my god, isn't it the best thing you've ever heard?" And look at them; they're really hot. And obviously, I was like, not sure I was gay at that point, so just going along with it. Um, <laughs> and I don't know how I remember it so vividly. Actually, I don't think I've ever spoken about the first time I heard them, but. I remember thinking, wow, this is really different. I've not really heard anything like this before. And then from that point, I guess I was a super fan. It's funny though, isn't it? Because like I'm talking about the music like it redefined an entire generation. And I know I was kind of joking earlier, but it kind of did. Yeah. Like it, it was in a sea of boring, male, guitar-led pop. And it came out of nowhere, like this vision of queerness. Mm, yeah, like ab- absolute high camp. Freedom. Yeah. Like... Yeah. Joy, freedom, happiness. It was, it was everything. It was about friendship too. It wasn't about sex or it wasn't about pulling or depression or anything other, other stuff that was sort of in there or or anything else that was kind of in the um, ether at the time. It was more just like, Hey, you know what? Like, my friends are more important. Bros before hoes. Yeah. Well, in fact, hoes yeah. before bros. In this <laughs> yes. case. I'm not calling the Spice Girls hoes, by the way. I put myself in, this, in the same bracket then. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, uh, just
1: to take a moment for all of the queer kids who had that feeling of being with a straight friend and having them show you a picture of the uh opposite gender <laughs> and saying oh isn't this person hot and you're just like oh uh they have such nice skin um yeah
3: <laughs> oh my god they're so hot yeah great i love that dress <laughs> yeah uh i remember
1: i think uh, when i was like Fifteen, I decided that the woman, the famous woman who I fancied, was Rosie Perez. I don't know why i I don't know why I thought that was a good idea. But
3: I hold on, I'm googling that Rosie oh, Perez. Oh, sorry, she's yeah, yeah chance, she's oh, she's hot though.
1: Yeah, I, I I don't know. I I mean, I really I like her as an actor. Maybe that that's what it was. But um
3: yeah, she. I think she might be Dan's type because she's kind of a milf. Is that right, Dan? Uh, let me let me look her up. Her
2: name <laughs> Rosie Perez. Yes never heard of this person she i mean she's old so it, like it's hard to picture oh uh, yeah like some heyday photos yeah yeah she's she's a 10 out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> okay so maybe i was
1: onto something i always find like i always got kind of a oh really Oh, hmm. Interesting.
3: <laughs> it's like, Oh God, I'm doing
1: it I'm wrong. Invalidate. I'm doing it wrong. Um. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I'm trying to remember who I pretended to fancy. I think I said Nicole Kidman again. She's ginger. I think I just was like, she's amazing. Yeah. I'll go with her or Kylie, like any kind of gay icon, basically. Yeah.
1: My my ex boyfriend used to be, uh, you know, his his straight obsession was uh, Pamela Anderson. I'm like, oh god, that's so obvious. Like, um no, he, really. And he had Pamela Anderson oh, yeah. posters plastered all over his wall, but it was like the poster to barbed wire, the movie that she made, and um, that's like that to me, was a clear indication. This is a, a gay child. It's like, oh no, she was really good in that weird comic book movie. So not, not anything about the uh, the actual sexiness.
3: Anyway. Someone, someone I know claims to have had sex with her in a cupboard under the stairs. So <laughs> tell your friends. <laughs> maybe his what? inner straightness will become jealous. Yes. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you here. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Anyway,
1: uh, back to the Spice Girls. Yeah, I think that moment of having this gigantic it was like having having a girl band that wasn't a girl band in the way that other girl bands had been girl bands at the time and even since um, where they were sexy like they had sexiness to them but it wasn't like that was the thing that was being pushed they weren't being forced to wear like skimpy swimming suits or anything in their video shoots it wasn't like um, like the focus felt more like it was on fun and on the music and on just like, uh, looking like they're having a good time together. And that seemed like yeah. a big shift to me too, that it was five women who were these insane global superstars who were trying to do things in a different way. Or I mean, you know, it's all manufactured. Like they, they obviously had people who were guiding their career to be that, but, um, having that idea behind the whole Spice Girls machine was, uh, uh,
3: quite a different thing kind of like um, Essex girls or New Jersey girls or something like they just sort of didn't give a fuck right. and they just, they embodied what it was just like to be a human rather than being a pussycat doll or like you say, you know, a rama where it's all about the image. This felt very much about image, but it was way more like the image of, of you. It represented you more than any girl brand previously. And also I think it made women feel, I hope, made them feel like they could just be themselves without having to be pushed down by men and told they couldn't do things or that they had to wear a certain thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. And in particular, Mel C, I think. I know they were all assigned their little archetypes and um, had to kind of conform to that in, in, in some way. So, you know, she was Sporty Spice. And so it was obviously always sports gear, but
3: having her. Yeah. But you see, that's actually, that's interesting. Sorry to interrupt because they didn't brand themselves that, that came from a magazine that needed to define them as something. So Smash Hits Magazine labeled them as their names, like Sporty, Ginger, Posh. And Like all good feminism or reappropriation, they took hold of that and owned that themselves. So I feel like that was their choice to go, you know what, if you're going to call us that, we're going to do that. Uh, We're going to own that. We're going to like appropriate it almost. So they almost had that kind of thinking that we have now when we, if we get called something offensive, we take that word and we... We own it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah,
1: and in in a way that allowed them to express individual personalities more than other manufactured bands would be able to. Uh, in a lot of manufactured bands, especially when it's women, there's almost a uniform that they're wearing. Like I was thinking about like Destiny's Child, you know, having Tina Knowles making costumes for them that were all um, <laughs> you know ba- variations on a theme. And the Spice Girls were able to pick out individual styles, and you know. Uh, have these very strong identities for each person that had you know completely separate from what the other band members were wearing
3: god bless Tina. i know Mm -hmm. i know
1: i wonder if uh she still makes any like tour clothes for either of her daughters now i kind of think she does not
3: i feel like she must have designed something for the homecoming thing at coachella like that had to be done yeah 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 i hope so Can I just get back to the Spice Girls for a Uh, second? Can we talk about Jerry's tea towel outfit? (laughs) Yes. Because that Union Jack dress came from a tea towel. I mean, is there anything more pure than her being at home going, this dress isn't isn't extra enough? Oh, I know. I'll use that Union Jack tea towel. (laughs) How awesome is that?
1: (sighs) And that, to me, is also the campus thing ever. Just like, you know, finding some object in your home that has something that you're like oh that's kind of cute and just throwing it on your clothes but yeah uh, yeah (laughs) amazing and the speed at which they kind of overtook the globe with this new way of looking at pop was insane i I don't know i mean i I think they're they're still so much in the public eye but at that time it was insane it was like they were probably the most famous women in in the world for for uh, a couple of years yeah
2: and they, they, they met, um, I remember they met uh, Nelson Mandela and they met Margaret Thatcher. Yeah, yeah. And Prince Charles. To, Prince Charles, yeah. I'm just trying to think off the top of my head who even comes close in terms of a girl group like at, at the time. The only band I can think of is Eternal, which is not even...
3: What? No. Like, not
2: even. No way. Not even quite, that's my point though. Like, I mean, who else, who else is there?
3: I mean, um, since then, there have been so many girl bands that have had... Probably more hits, more maybe international success, but nothing could ever come even close to the amount of cultural impact the Spice Girls yeah. had. Oh, what a yeah. soundbite! Yeah, yeah.
1: And, <laughs> and just even name recognition, like b- globally being uh, an act who it was like I- instantly recognizable, like someone like M- Michael Jackson, where wherever you went in the world, um, for the most part. Everyone would know who they were. And I don't think any other... See, I don't know. Is a band like One Direction that instantly recognizable? Yeah. Um,
3: I think so. Maybe... Yeah. Maybe they're up there but too.
1: I, even even with them, I don't know that you could be absolutely certain that you could go anywhere and say their name and without explanation people would know who they are. There's something about the name
3: Spice Girls as well that was just so like That's true. The, the name really popped. And also they have they've not had as much cultural influence, I don't think, in any way. They've just been a huge international success. I'm talking in One Direction, of course. But the Spice Girls, I think they re they kickstarted feminism again. They brought back girl power. I mean, they had a movie and they made Meatloaf, who I imagine Dan is like a rock legend or, or something. Uh, is he rock?
2: Yeah, uh, just let's just say yeah. Yeah, yes, he okay. is rock.
3: So he kind of like represented the patriarchy. They made him be the driver of their bus in the movie. They reduced Meatloaf to being a bus driver. No shade to any bus drivers out there. But isn't that just a great example of, of putting feminism like back up there and
1: i think that that's also a really good indicator of how famous they were and how big of a deal they were that everybody who's in that film there's so many people who have these tiny tiny parts really ridiculously famous people who agreed to pop up in that movie because the spice girls were this enormous cultural phenomenon well done ladies i think uh Yeah, you really achieved something.
2: (laughs) Can I talk about how much I hated this podcast?
3: (laughs) Go on. Sorry, what? Your connection's breaking.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I really did hate them when they came out because everything you're saying, I I thought, and part of me still thinks that, I thought, well, it's just undermined because it's just set up by a man uh, who's carefully calculated this whole thing to make money. So I just didn't buy into any of it. I mean, I hated, I hated the music anyway, irrespective of who's making it, but...
3: Who do you I, think you are, Dan?
2: I just thought, God, this is so... What's the word I'm looking for?
3: Manufactured.
2: Yeah, but I don't... Well, yeah, just so manufactured and also so... That's not actually the word I'm looking for. What's the word when it's, it's so carefully put together that I, I at the time I thought, and part of me still thinks a little bit of this, that when it's when things are done by committee like the spice girls it doesn't have as it's not as important as when somebody as people have, have sat in a room together and organically come up with something at the time i 100 i 100 thought that now i probably i don't really think that at all but part there's part of it it does think that so at the time i really i couldn't stand them okay well of uh of like corporate you know banned by committee and they don't write their own songs
3: and i like this is too much, Dan. I'm going to say stop and goodbye. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say. I feel uh, yeah, forever. I can
1: feel the tension mounting.
3: <laughs> I think you're wrong. I think you're wrong. I think I think there are elements of truth to what you're saying, but I don't think that diminishes them.
2: No, I mean, at this, so like I say, at the time, this is what I thought. But not, like from this vantage point, like it's impossible to argue that like how significant they are and the fact that there, there were girls. And whereas, I mean, at the time, I didn't really support that argument because like because one minute they were meeting Margaret Thatcher saying they were like her children and then the next they were supporting Tony Blair and I just thought what is this and you can you say whatever you want just to, just just because you you know just I mean, just because you <laughs> to meet them. Um, I still do that now <laughs> yeah you know I don't really like that but anyway you can't deny that the, like the, the global impact that, that they've had and the the effect they must have had on on young girls you know is, is immeasurable yeah yeah
3: and
1: gays. And, yeah, and gays. Yeah. yeah. And I think, uh, you know, to draw a parallel to Nirvana, like the way that Nirvana influenced music and culture in their lane, I think the Spice Girls have done the same for pop music and the way that people think about marketing bands, the way that bands, manufactured bands, or just any other pop bands, behave in interviews and on awards shows and stuff like that. That There was this kind of cheekiness, this a, a, a different Less formal way of expressing themselves that definitely yeah. has, has bled into other bands.
2: Yeah, hundred percent. But I, d- I don't think in that in this day and age you would really get a band like the Spice Girls because pe- pe- everything is so safe uh, that you just you wouldn't risk doing a radio interview where someone might swear or like you wouldn't risk doing um, getting them a, a, an award ceremony as, as in case they do or say the wrong thing. So I think the Spice Girls does sort of hark back to an age where things were a bit looser. And like, as much as I would have hated to admit it at the time, there is something quite punk rock and anarchic about the Spice Girls. Uh, They don't give a shit about your like radio show or your awards ceremony. They're going to do what they want.
3: You know what? That's really interesting. I think the closest we've got to that since then is the Cock Destroyers. And that's not even a joke. You know what? They are way more... They are just as ballsy maybe as the Spice Girls were and honest and real. And there isn't such a thing as that in pop music right now. But I think that will change without getting dark. like The times we live in at the moment are going to see a rise of people being so much more real because the filter's off. We're all working from home. We're all reduced to being exactly the same as each other. And sure, you might be Kim Kardashian with a lot of staff and 10 fridges, but that's not going to help you. And if this continues to be the way it is right now, then things are going to change. And and I think people are starting to see through best life, Instagram posts and perfection. So I I think it will change. I think things have become a little bit more spicy.
1: And you would hope that uh, (laughs) you you would hope that, uh, uh, you know, a huge global crisis would help people to understand what's important and what's not. And, you know, people, swearing or uh, saying off the cuff things is probably not, uh, yeah, not, not the thing to focus on. Uh, <laughs> but that is amazing. I feel extremely, extremely satisfied. I uh, <laughs> We've covered two topics that I think represent the uh, the polls of the um, opposite poles of the music industry, so I think that was a a, a good a good comprehensive overview. Um, thank you both so much for making time for me. This was lovely.
2: Can I just add
1: something about yes, Nirvana? Yes, Sorry. of course.
2: Because
3: oh, you have to. Okay, go for it.
2: I think it's quite interesting actually, because growing up reading all this stuff about Nirvana, I just thought that Seattle was like the holy grail, and oh my god, if I can only go to Seattle. And like, if if you asked any of the people that I went to school with if you said the the, the the word Seattle to them, they'd be like, oh, Nirvana. So it's incredible that completely bizarrely, my girlfriend now lives in Seattle. So I go there quite a lot. And Nirvana and grunge is abs- absolutely everywhere you look. And I was lucky enough to go to Aberdeen where Kurt Cobain and Chris Novoselic are from, which is basically a, a small town uh, about 100 miles outside of Seattle. And it's just Nirvana mm-hmm. everywhere. And it's just it really was like going to to Mecca for me. And I quite like that. I guess it's like a full 360 that I would end up not living in Seattle, but being there a lot and just sort of getting, getting to go there. And the fact that my girlfriend lives there for for other means, even though she's British and from Blackpool, I just think that's a nice, um, a nice little story.
3: (laughs) You know what, Dan, I, you know, I take the mic, um, but I actually love Nirvana too. I think they're amazing, so I take back any shade I threw at you. <laughs> it's very interesting, though, that we are the complete opposite each other of each other. In the like, you're the non-gay of our podcast, and you love Nirvana, and I'm the gay, and I'm loving the Spice Girls. It's hilarious. Why do you love? What do you love about Nirvana? <laughs> um, I like what uh, smells like Teen Spirit. I Think that's right, a good yeah. song. I have respect for Kurt Cobain and what they went through. Yeah, that's probably all I've got to say about it.
2: Kurt Cobain was a real ally to the LGBT community. Well, he was just an ally. He was he was uh, the outsider, so he appealed to everybody. But he was a real ally to LGBT people at a time when nobody was, certainly not in the rock world. And I think that that's sort of been written out of history a bit. But it's worth um, it's worth knowing. Like in, in a time when rock was very macho and it was all about how many women that you'd slept with and doing doing. Drugs off a prostitute's back, or whatever. Like Kurt Cobain, like rejected all of that, and he was like vehemently anti-sexist. And uh, he's got plenty of at least two massive songs about rape, which in itself is quite a punk rock thing to do. Uh, and he was a real ally to to. He was a real um soldier against racism and sexism and homophobia at a time when like nobody else was. So yeah, Kurt's the best. Yeah. <laughs>
1: um, I, I was just thinking as well of like songs like Dumb from uh, the last album. Yeah. But that's like just a pop song. It's, you know, uh, this like very sweet, melodic song. So they did have, they had range as well.
2: Mm. Oh yeah, yeah, 100%. And I think if, if uh, th- there's always a lot of discussion about what would Kurt Cobain be doing today if he was still alive. And I think he would have just gone down the path of, where those albums were heading so that unplugged album when he just did loads of covers of obscure stuff i think he would have just turned into like a neil young or mm-hmm. a bob dylan type mm-hmm. figure uh and it's such a shame that like well you know we'll never know that for sure but i think if he was still alive the depth of his career would have been absolutely you know fascinating to, yeah. to have seen yeah r.i.p <sighs> yeah
1: And on that sad note, I am uh, extremely satisfied. Thank you guys so much. Um, If people want to find out what's coming up for you guys, is social media the best way to do that?
3: Yeah, you can check us out. We're at Gay Non-Gay everywhere uh, on Twitter, Instagram, at Gay Non-Gay. And obviously the podcast comes out every Wednesday um, called A Gay and a Non-Gay. And we're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Wonderful.
1: Thanks again. Um, I really appreciate you guys making time for me. And uh, yeah, thanks. All right, Take care. Bye.
3: Bye. Thanks for having us. Bye.
1: That was so fun. Thanks again to Dan and James for chatting with me. Download the A Gay and A Non-Gay podcast immediately. Okay. Recommendations. Firstly, while we're on the subject of Nirvana covers, Amber Mark. Yes, I'm talking about Amber Mark again. Deal with it. Amber Mark has just put out a cover of Nirvana's Heart-Shaped Box, and she fulfills my requirements for a great cover. She completely makes it her own, and she makes it sound like a completely different song. Well done, Ms. Mark. Also, Empress Of put out a new album, and it's fantastic. It sounds totally different to the last one. This one, which is called I Am Your Empress Of, is really light and poppy and is exactly the distraction you need right now, so please check that out. Also... If you haven't watched Dave on Hulu slash FX yet, you should. It's a half-hour comedy based on the life of Dave Bird, who is better known as YouTube rapper Lil Dicky. It's really funny and sweet, and there are only five episodes in the first season. And in the quarantimes, times, five episodes is the new one episode. So check that out too. And that's it, my friends. Please, please follow me on social media at Spark Parade. And then make everyone you live with do the same. And then have a Zoom meeting with everyone in your life and make them all follow me too. And then you can all write nice reviews for the show and rate it five stars. Thanks in advance. Other than that, stay healthy, stay safe, stay home, and wash your motherfucking hands. Until next time, bye.